Hello and welcome to this bonus episode of the Sark Fighter podcast. You will be listening to a recently recorded town hall on February 18th, and the name of the town hall is Uncovering the Future of Sarcoidosis Treatment and Clinical Trials. And the whole purpose of this town hall, which was put on by the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research, was to examine how difficult it can be for patients to participate in a clinical trial, but the also the importance of patients participating in clinical trials so that we can advance the cause of finding new treatments for sarcoidosis. And so we will be hearing from a physician, from a pharmaceutical company, from FSR and from a patient, and we will we'll sort of look at this from every single possible perspective with the idea being that at the end of the day, we can find ways to make it easier for patients to participate. We have to establish what it is that would make it easier. And we also have to hear from the research perspective how important it is for patients to participate. And and actually, you're, you're going to hear some discussion about the fact that it is uh, apparently with sarcoidosis patients, uh, particularly difficult to recruit people. And there are now, for the first time ever, uh, I want to say nine clinical trials in the field. And just a couple of years ago, when we started this podcast, there were very few. I, I want to say one. So there's a lot of interest in advancing the cause of finding medications to treat specifically sarcoidosis. And if you listen for the next hour, you're going to hear every possible perspective on that. So again, this is a bonus episode of this uh, town hall, which I hosted, and you will be listening to all the different perspectives. And that's coming up next here on the FSR Sark Fighter podcast. This is the Sark Fighter podcast living with sarcoidosis and other rare diseases. Here's your host, John Carlin. Good morning, and welcome to FSR's Town Hall Uncovering Treatments of Sarcoidosis Clinical Trials. Um, we'll now hand it over to John Carlin to get us started. Thank you, Angela, and good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Researchers Uncovering the Future of Sarcoidosis Treatment and Clinical Trials Town Hall Discussion this afternoon. My name is John Carlin. I am the host of the FSR SARC Fighter podcast. I hope you've been tuning in. I'm also a member of the Patient Advisory Committee. And uh, I want to uh, tell you that I will we'll be uh, so pleased to have the honor of guiding this afternoon's discussion as we try to help uncover the considerations that patients in particular have when they're thinking about participating in, in clinical trials and uh, the ways to balance the need for new and better therapies, which if you're in this conversation, we all know that are, are needed. And uh, we are honored to see so many of you, so many friends, family, clinicians, and staff with us. So thank you all for joining us for this uh, really, really important event. And I understand that in our discussion prior to this event, there is a lot of interest in today's seminar. So before we get started today, 
I want to share a, a quick bit of housekeeping. This event will not have time for Q&A. However, should you have any questions for FSR staff, please just enter them down in the chat, and then a member of the staff will get back to you with support for your question. And then, of course, remember that a link to today's conversation will be shared with all registered attendees and will be made available on FSR's YouTube channel. Additionally, the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research would like to thank Kind Event Sciences, providing the generous support necessary for making today's program possible. At this point, I would like to introduce our esteemed panelists, and then we will hear from each of them. But let me go over the list first of all. Gary Farrow is a patient advisory committee member, a woman of color patient advisory committee member, and, uh, and has been very active as a volunteer with the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. Mary McGowan is our chief executive officer for the foundation. Dr. Divya Patel is the clinical associate professor of pulmonology and director of the sarcoidosis and ILD programs at the University of Florida. And Bill Gerhardt is the Chief Executive Officer of Kind Event Sciences Incorporated. So to our panelists, thank you all so much for your time and your participation uh, on this panel discussion. We all certainly appreciate your valuable time on a Saturday afternoon to bring this conversation and this important topic to light as we try to get to the bottom of, of why uh, folks do or do not participate in clinical trials and what could be done perhaps as a result of this very conversation to make them more palatable to patients. So with that being said, it's my pleasure to introduce FSR's CEO, Mary McGowan, and she will now give us an official welcome. Mary. Thank you, John. We are so honored to have you moderate this unique town hall today on why clinical trials matter. Welcome to our panelists and to all attendees for this important discussion. Thank you all for being here today to participate. Again, Kind of in Sciences, we are grateful to you for sponsoring this very timely discussion. Recently, FSR surveyed the community about clinical trial participation and had 262 responses. 63% of respondents reported that they were interested in learning more about clinical trials, and approximately 40 to 50% of respondents reported familiarity with the clinical trial process, safety, and recruitment practices. Mm. Based on the results from this survey, we believe today's discussion is an opportunity to ensure that anyone who has an interest in clinical trials has the necessary information they need to fully consider whether they want to participate. We're going to hear and learn more about patient considerations to participate, including risk, safety, family and work considerations, and other obstacles. We're going to learn about pharmaceutical companies listening to the patient voice and trying to make trials more convenient for patients to participate with things like financial assistance and remote monitoring. We're also going to learn how trial participation may impact caregiver roles. What I'm most excited about for today is bringing focus on this unique moment in sarcoidosis history. Right now, as opposed to five years ago, and perhaps even looking ahead five years, right now, the clinical trial climate is full of momentum that will benefit sarcoidosis research. 
And right now, sarcoidosis researchers are ready to move the science forward. They are starting up clinical trials at a very high rate, like nothing seen before. It is truly our time to take a leap forward in terms of our understanding of sarcoidosis. We all see so much potential for better diagnosis to understanding the role of genetics and environmental influences and to finding new and better treatments. As someone who cares deeply about the sarcoidosis community, I feel strongly about highlighting this to everyone here today. FSR is truly grateful to our industry partners for advancing sarcoidosis research, grateful to patients who give of themselves to participate in research, and our clinicians and researchers who are working diligently every day for a better understanding of the disease as well as enhanced treatments and care of sarcoidosis patients worldwide. Thank you all again for being here with us today. And thank you, Mary, for your great leadership and everything that FSR is doing to launch initiatives and to, to bring forth programs like the one that we are seeing here today. Uh, and, and really just, uh, if you will, taking the bull by the horns and, and moving the cause forward in the fight against sarcoidosis. So speaking of that, there's been a lot of movement in the last year to bring us closer to more treatment options. Folks who've listened to the podcast know I, I talk a lot about prednisone, at which one guest called the devil's tic tacs, you know, because that's that was the one treatment that was out there and it, and it results in so many difficulties for so many patients. But uh, there's been a lot of interest in sarcoidosis research recently. And in the past year, when, when we first started, there was only one uh, active sponsored clinical trial, and now there are nine in process. That is amazing progress. I can't even do those percentages in my head, but it's amazing how quickly uh, companies are coming forward and trying to find some solutions to the sarcoidosis problem. So let's go to our panelists now. And I, I want to hear your concerns and I want to hear what you feel about what's going on right now. Uh, Bill, let's have you start. Um, why are you so excited about drug development? But uh, what are the concerns going forward? Yeah, no, sure. Thank you, John. It's great to be here. I'm excited to talk uh, today about the importance of developing new medicines for sarcoidosis, the challenges and barriers for making that happen. And specifically what the patient community can do collectively to help us with this important mission. I think we can all agree that sarcoidosis is a disease with few good treatment options and that while currently existing therapeutic options work for some people affected by this disease, for many of these medicines are not effective or result in significant side effects or both. And as a result, the quality of life of these patients is not very good. And in fact, in some, it's quite awful. So what's the best way to solve for this problem? Well, in my mind, there are three basic approaches. The first is to prevent the cause of the disease itself. Um, that would be really tough until we better understand as a community the mechanisms behind what causes sarcoidosis. It will be really difficult to identify ways to prevent it. And also there are multiple causes of sarcoidosis. It could be different things in the environment could be different things that are wrong with our immune systems. It could be some genetic predispositions. And 
So all of that collectively means that while it's an important goal to pursue, it'll be really tough to achieve in the short term. The second approach for significantly improving patients' quality of lives is to ensure that patients are receiving the optimal treatment given the medicines available today. Making sure that the treatment regimens that provide the best chances of success are defined, communicated, understood, and practiced by all clinicians treating this disease, no matter where you live or your demographic background. We all know that some patients today are still not optimally treated with what's available, and so more work uh, needs to be done in this area. Finally, the third path is to develop new medicines for treating sarcoidosis, which is the primary focus of our session today. I postulate that to significantly improve the quality of life with those of those with sarcoidosis here in the near term is to better treat and hopefully cure this disease at some point in the future. Um, new and better therapeutics will be required. In order for new and better medicines to be developed, there has to be a significant increase in the number of clinical trials. And in order for there to be a significant increase in clinical trial research successfully, there has to be an increase in the number of patients willing and able to participate in clinical trials. So the good news is, is that there's an increase in the number of clinical trials in sarcoidosis, but if there's not this corresponding increase in the number of patients willing and able to participate in clinical research, clinical trials, then these clinical trials will struggle to recruit patients. Some may be terminated early because of feasibility and other pharmaceutical companies who may be considering evaluating their drug candidates in sarcoidosis will be persuaded from doing so. So... This is, this is our opportunity and our challenge collectively as a community to take advantage of this unprecedented momentum in sarcoidosis clinical research, to increase awareness of the existence of these clinical trials and the importance of participating in clinical trial research, to better understand the barriers and challenges that limit this participation, and to incorporate these learnings in clinical trial designs and programs that address these barriers. I look forward to further sharing my perspective and ideas on all this during our session today. Yeah, Bill, thank you. I appreciate that. So, so what I hear you saying is, okay, science is, is stepping up. We're, we're looking for some solutions, but uh, you, you've got to have some subjects, if you will, who are willing to participate as well, or you can't move forward with, with any advancements. Is that Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's bring in Dr. Patel right now. Uh, Dr. Patel, what's your take on that? Hi, John. How are you? Um, good morning. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, I have participated in many FSR educational sessions over the years. I have to say this is the most exciting and important one that I've ever participated in, in my opinion. Um, it is a really amazing time in sarcoidosis research right now. Um, there has never been, as Mary said, as much interest from, from the pharmaceutical industry as there is currently. Um, there have, they're, they're having pharmaceutical industry interest in developing treatments for sarcoidosis is very important for me and uh, in order to take better care of my patients. Um, as Bill mentioned, the treatments we have right now are imperfect. And those of you in the audience, you know in all of the ways how these treatments are imperfect. 
Um, and the other issue sometimes we have also is getting insurance companies and third-party payers to cover drug costs. And without an FDA-approved treatment, getting an insurance company to pay for treatment make, becomes that much harder. So developing new treatments, getting FDA approval is critical for us to improve the care and the quality of life of patients with, with sarcoidosis. And again, it is such an amazing opportunity right now. I have read research on sarcoidosis back to the 1950s and never in the history of sarcoidosis research are we, have we been at a point in time like this. Um, my main concern about the clinical trials that are ongoing right now and the interest that we have is, in general, unfortunately, sarcoidosis has a negative reputation in the industry because of, because of difficulties with recruitment of, of patients into the studies. Um, my concern is that you know, if there's, there is poor participation from patients, that will discourage other companies from working on sarcoidosis treatments. Um, a few years ago, my, my center, we participated in two clinical trials for sarcoidosis, and both of those suffered majorly um, from issues with recruitment. And, you know, we're seeing some, some evidence of that currently, too. So I really want to encourage the sarcoidosis community, um, you know, to learn about clinical trials, uh, to think about whether these trials could uh, benefit them. Yeah, clearly, uh, without people to participate in the trials, we can't advance the science. That's that's just what it comes down to. Uh, I'm surprised to hear you say that sarcoidosis has any kind of a reputation, uh, negative or positive. Um, my my feeling was it was always, with the exception of the people in our in our group and those listening, that it wasn't on many people's radar at all. So that's. That is concerning that it has a negative reputation, and I hope some of the folks who are listening today will will take that to heart as they uh, talk to their doctors and as they consider whether perhaps they want to participate. But let's bring in the patient perspective now with Gari. So Gari, uh, looks like the onus is on those of us who are patients. Well, I'm very excited and hopeful about the increase of number of clinical trials and sarcoidosis treatment um, that's been mentioned. And I can't wait to hear more about it today because each trial is one step closer to finding that medication that is beneficial and effective for all of our um, sarcoidosis patients, um, for everybody who has different types of sarcoidosis. Um, Think about what made you join today's session. Usually it's because you want more education or you wanted to see a speaker. Um, in my industry, we call that WIFM, what's in it for me. Your potential patients, us, have the same thought. What's in it for me to participate in a clinical trial? Uh, what obstacles do I have to overcome to actually to participate? Travel, family, budget, work concerns. Um, all of this impacts our decision-making on whether or not we're going to participate. I believe if a trial actually provides the answers to those questions up front, that allows us, the patients, to focus in on the most important question, which is really, should I participate in this trial? Not, do I have time? Do I have the money? Who's going to take care of XYZ for me? Um, I want to thank you guys for the opportunity to speak today, and I can't wait to hear more about the future of sarcoidosis treatment and clinical trials. Yeah, those are good points, Gary, for sure. Um, what's in it for me, I, I think we're, we're going to hear, and I know we've got some survey results we'll be sharing, and we know 
from from listening to people what what some of those concerns are and collectively uh, maybe maybe we can uh, reach some consensus on the ways to address that. So, uh, Gary, thank you and and all the patients who uh, have been sharing your insights and your feedback. So now we want to talk a little bit more about whether pharmaceutical companies are attempting to create trials that actually address those concerns. What steps do you take? What considerations do you need to keep in mind when you design a clinical trial? you've got one clinical trial in the middle of the country, and it's a long way from a population center, which doesn't exist, but let's say for the sake of conversation that it did, people can't get there. They, they, they can't take the time off work. There's all these, these, all these different things that have to happen to make it so that somebody, once they decide to participate, can participate. And Bill, I know you've been working uh, on a clinical trial of your own. So, um, Let's hear what you have to say about how you design one of these trials to make that happen. Uh, yeah, sure, John. Thank you uh, for that um, opportunity to talk about it. I I've been in the pharmaceutical industry for 25 years, and I've helped uh, design clinical trials and develop drugs for multiple diseases. And the issues are always the same fundamentally uh, as they are here in sarcoidosis, which is that companies, it, the reality is, is that it's really, really hard to get funding to do a clinical trial, particularly a larger later stage clinical trial cost 50, 60, 70, even $100 million. And, and so a lot of time is spent to try to get a study design that maximizes the probability of success. The success is showing that the drug does in fact have a treatment benefit uh, and deserves to be continued to develop and eventually uh, submitted for approval with um, the need to have a study that you can recruit for. And there's a tension between designing a study that's maximizes the potential for showing success and having a study that, 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 uh, can enroll as many people as possible who have the disease because in order to maximize the probability of success, you have to uh, narrow the eligibility requirement to those patients who are the most likely to show a benefit, but to have a study that you can efficiently recruit for is uh, requires to you to, to relax those uh, eligibility requirements as much as you possibly can in order to be able to recruit that study. And usually we only have one shot. If we design and execute a study that doesn't work, it's likely the last study that we can do in that disease given the significant cost and time to conduct that study. So um, on that topic of, of uh, eligibility, I, I bring it up because I know that a lot of patients are frustrated who may be interested in participating but don't qualify and don't understand why because they have symptoms and they don't have good treatment options and what other ways like to participate in but i assure you that companies try to design these studies so that any a patient who could potentially uh, show uh, and contribute to understanding that safety and efficacy of the drug uh, should, you know will get in i know also patients who don't have pulmonary sarcoidosis specifically and have other forms of sarcoidosis are frustrated by not being able to 
participate in clinical trials specifically for their organ of interest. And I, I can only share our perspective on that, which is that the largest and biggest patient population with the disease, and so therefore the subpopulation of sarcoidosis patients that can justify the significant development cost is pulmonary sarcoidosis. But most companies, including ourselves, if we get positive results in pulmonary sarcoidosis, then it makes it all that much easier to think about conducting studies in other organs of interest, for example, cardiac sarcoidosis or uh, liver or kidney or uh, neuro. So, um, so unfortunately, we have to sort of be sequential in that. Uh, and, uh, and that's uh, top of mind for us as well, too. Beyond eligibility, we're focused on uh, making it otherwise as easy to get in the study. So for example, historically, uh, patients had to be on high doses of steroid to get into the study and companies such as our, our, ourselves are rethinking the necessity for doing that and, uh, and allowing patients in who are not on high doses of steroid. And the other key f- uh, element to making it easier for patients to get into a study is convenience, which is to try to design these clinical trials so that we respect their time and there's a minimum requirement in terms of participating either because of the number of assessments uh, that are done or the number of visits or shortening the visit by, for example, offering a sub-Q formulation, which is an injection versus having to sit in a chair for one hour uh, in an infusion. And to the extent possible, encouraging home visits or even telemedicine so that patients don't have to come into the clinic. Financial assistance and hardship is another barrier that prevents sometimes patients from participating. And most companies, including ourselves, offer compensation for travel and other out-of-pocket expenses. And in the future, companies are trying to identify ways that they can even reimburse for lost wages for those who otherwise couldn't afford to take the time off. So it's important before making conclusions about what um, is involved in participating in clinical trial that patients ask these questions uh, and learn a little bit more about the study. Um, So I would say another key a concern that patients sometimes raise is that they don't want to be a guinea pig in a clinical trial. In other words, they don't want to be taking a test medication for the first time. And I would just uh, want to assure uh, patients who are considering participating that there is very rigorous testing around a drug being uh, used in a clinical trial. The bar is really high. Uh, at a minimum, there has to be significant animal uh, studies in order to demonstrate the potential safety of the drug. And often, drugs uh, are uh, first evaluated in healthy people who are more able to take on some risk um, before progressing to a small number of patients in, in who have the disease. And, and in many cases, for example, in, in our case, we already know that the drug has a good tolerability profile because it's been tested in hundreds and hundreds of patients who have other diseases. And so, again, while um, this might be a risk in some cases, it's important for patients to ask these questions and uh, to understand what those, um, you know, what those, uh, you know, what the what the safety history of the drug is before drawing conclusions about the risks of. Uh, you know, participating in any particular study. And then finally, patients who 
uh, are participating in clinical research are worried about being on a placebo arm, um, which I can understand having, you know, been a patient myself in the past and patients, uh, in this situation are worried that if they do participate in clinical trial, they might not be on the active drug and what companies do, you know, the necessity for needing to do that is without that placebo arm, we can't for sure demonstrate that the drug is a safe and effective. Unfortunately, there's no other way to do that in a really rigorous way that's going to result in the drug getting approved and insurance companies reimbursing for it. But what companies are doing in these clinical trial designs now is incorporating in uh, open label extensions, or in other words, opportunities for patients who participate in a clinical trial to, to get access to the drug at some point during the trial so that they know all patients who participate in a clinical trial know that they're going to have the opportunity to be on drug either in the double blind portion of that or in the uh, open label extension or that part of the study after the double blind. So those are some of the things that companies like ours are doing to try to address the barriers uh, for patients who are interested in participating, um, but maybe um, you know prevented by some of these uh, you know concerns. Interesting perspectives for sure. I, I, you know, first of all, you got to make it convenient enough for people to be able to participate, uh, and to also offset some of their costs. Uh, and then there's the whole issue of. Uh, do they get the placebo? And um, if they get the placebo, they're essentially going on with their sarcoidosis with no drug treatment. And so that's uh, a little bit of a risk, even uh, even if the drug itself is safe. So Dr. Patel, you talk to patients all the time. You've participated in these things before. Uh, is this the type of thing that you hear? And do you have any thoughts on on how to make it better or more palatable to patients? Yeah, absolutely, John. Um, so in my mind, um, the main benefit of participating in a clinical trial, especially for rare diseases like sarcoidosis, where we don't have FDA-approved treatments, where the treatments we have are not great, clinical trials open up an opportunity to get a possible, you know, potentially get a possible treatment that might work better for you, that might have lower side effects for you. Um, and so when I talk to my patients about treatment options, I, in addition to prednisone and methotrexate and the usual things we talk about, if they qualify for a clinical trial, I also bring that up as an option, um, as a treatment option. And that's really how I think patients should think about it too, that participating in a clinical trial is an opportunity to get on a treatment that might work for them and that might be better for them. Um, and, you know, to kind of address the concerns that, you know, John brought up about the placebo, that is, that's a concern I hear from my patients quite often. What I tell them is a few things. Number one, even if you end up in the placebo arm of the study where, um, where you're not getting the drug, the other benefits to you, um, uh, to being in the study is you're getting very frequent monitoring. So you're getting to see me every month instead of every three months or six months. You get to have testing like breathing tests and blood tests to monitor you closely. All of that is free to the participants in the study. That gives me additional information to monitor your treatment. I mean, to, I'm sorry, to monitor your disease, to know how you're doing 
in short periods of time instead of waiting long periods of time where we may have missed some decline already. And, you know, if there are situations where you're in the study and you're not doing well, that things are, you know, getting worse for you, you can drop out of a study anytime you want. And that is a conversation though you want to have with your doctor and, and with the people that are conducting the study, obviously. But, you know, you're not, if you're getting worse, you can get out of it. Um, in my other risks, um, you know, people ask me about, my patients ask me about is what about side effects? Um, I'm going to echo what Bill said um, earlier. I think in our country, um, our FDA has some of the highest standards for patient safety and protection in the entire world. If you're going to participate in a phase two trial or a phase three trial, that drug has already been um, highly scrutinized and studied to make sure that the risks for patients is minimized as much as possible. And I will say overall, while you're participating in a study, the number one goal for everybody um, for everybody is the safety of the patient. That is always number one, number two, number three, the safety of the patient. So there's numerous mechanisms that are built in to ensure patient safety. So there are regulations from the FDA and federal government. There are local um, regulations too. Um, there's oversight um, and auditing to make sure that we're doing things the way we're supposed to be doing and handling things in a safe way. So um, I think that a lot of the concerns, you know, like placebo and the side effects, I think that they are minimized as much as possible, um, uh, at, at least in our country, I feel like uh, the way that our clinical trials are run. Um, the other thing I'll say is um, over the years, what I have noticed is that the newer studies are more cognizant of the obstacles that patients face for participating so we are seeing studies that allow um, for remote monitoring. So you don't have to drive to the clinic, you know, every, for every visit. Um, that reduces the amount of travel and missed work. Um, companies are also building in comp compensation for travel and accommodation. Um, I've even seen a trial that compensates the caregiver who accompanies the patient um, to the trial. So I think that trials are getting better. And in my opinion, for sarcoidosis patients, you know, participating in a clinical trial is something you should definitely think about. Well, that's interesting. Uh, the fact that, that you can drop out. Uh, I think it's a good point also that you are getting, you're being seen by your physician more often. So you've got regular care and, and that the patient comes first. So uh, if you start to see someone taking a turn for the worse, then you immediately intervene and that's, that uh, uh, avoids the, the patient having to have some sort of catastrophic negative effect. So, so all of those are, are very reassuring. Um, but I want to share the results. FSR did a survey and I want to share the results of this survey now because uh, we're hearing it anecdotally, but but the survey is giving us solid numbers on what people are concerned about and how many people are concerned on a percentage basis about these, these various issues related to participating. So FSR surveyed the community and they heard that over 40% of respondents are saying that time or distance to travel to the clinical site 
is the most likely barrier to participation in a trial. And nearly 40% just simply had not even heard of any clinical trials available to them. And then when it comes to more personal considerations, more than half of the respondents were worried about triggering a flare or other negative health impacts. And, and I can see where y- if you're going along and your medication miraculously is working, why would you want to take a chance and try something else? On the other hand, if you're one of those patients who are still looking for a solution, maybe maybe this is a good Hail Mary. But uh, uh, one-third of respondents were concerned about changing their current treatment. So there you go. And then on a more positive note, more than two-thirds of respondents were hopeful that their participation would benefit future generations, would deepen researchers' understanding of the disease and result in new therapies, which is what everybody's trying to get to with these things. So let's go to our patient now. Gary, can you shed some light on all the different factors that you need to consider? And if I'm not mistaken, you've also participated in clinical trials. Have you not? Yes, I have. Um, Thank you. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I didn't hear well. No, after you've heard all these numbers, what are you thinking? What are your concerns? Uh, Honestly, the list of questions that came to my mind when I was thinking about clinical trials was immediate. Uh, First is where is the clinical trial located? Uh, can I do anything close to home or will I need to travel? And if I need to travel, do uh, I need to get a dog sitter? Or can I find a hotel that allow me to bring my dog with me, especially if it needs, if I need to stay overnight? Um, for those with kids, managing their lives along with the trial, do they have any school events, programs, or practices that they're going to have to miss or work around? Um, how much time will I need off from work and how often? Uh, will my job allow me to actually take that time off um, because do they have coverage or do I have meetings or events that I can't miss? Uh, shoot, do I have money in the budget for the travel costs, gas, food, sitter fees, um, hotel? Uh, thankfully, so it's nice to hear that trials are taking that into consideration. Um, as John, as you mentioned, do I have to stop my current medication to take uh, to take part in the trial and for how long will I have to stop it? Um, how will the change in the medications impact my current and future health? Um, how will I feel after I take that medication? Uh, even a minor side effect, if it's new for me, would impact how I work. Because, of course, if these effects linger, will it cause me to take have to take the next day off or even days, depending upon how I feel? Um, and, of course, will I need to bring someone with me to drive after the treatment? Because... Um, if I'm not able to drive someone else that has to do it, now I have to take their work and life schedule into consideration in planning all of these different appointments. Um, I asked myself all of these questions, plus a lot more when I was making my decision to participate. Uh, the very first trial I this looked at, I actually decided not to participate because I couldn't get the answers on the website. And I'm one of those introverts where I didn't wanna actually ask the question, I wanted to find the information myself. Um, the trial was very specific and it was nice on the website where it told me specifically where the trial was located, which was two states away. The initial interview was going to take five to seven hours. They told me the length of time it was going to take for the infusion and how often I would have to return for a year, which was great. The problem was there was no mention of how I would get to the appointments. Um, I don't think that the trial staff was aware that someone outside of the state would find their information. Um, So they didn't consider what a patient would have to go through to get to them 
Or in my opinion, even worse, they considered these questions, but they didn't put the answers on the website and were waiting for someone to ask the question. Um, after receiving some more information about clinical trials from FSR, I made the decision to take part in a cardiac sarcoidosis trial, uh, which made my decision easier is because the trial was actually conducted at the same facility as my pulmonologist. So thankfully, I was able to schedule the trial screening appointment with the existing doctor's appointment so I didn't have to take any additional time off from work. Um, so I'd already had the two-hour drive to my doctor's appointment scheduled in. I already had the time off. Um, and, and my budget was already set up to take care of the dog, to, you know, gas food and et cetera for that day. What I didn't appreciate was the length of time it would take for the appointment. Um, because a usual doctor's visit trip for me is about six hours, including the two hours back and forth. Uh, but with the interviews, the labs, the CT scan, plus my doctor's appointment, I was actually in town for six hours and then still had to drive home two more hours. So 10 hours for the day and my job expected me to show up the next day for work. So uh, I uh, was thinking about it on the drive home of could I really continue to do this because of the time commitment, not including everything else of the medication, of the testing. Um, uh, unfortunately, or in my opinion, kind of fortunately, I was actually excluded because I didn't exactly fit the disease profile. So in my opinion, it, it made the decision easier for me. So I didn't have to make that hard choice of I can't continue because of all of these other issues around me participating in the trial. Um, I think when a trial is being constructed, it would be helpful if the staff focused, I'm, I'm sorry, I believe that the, some staff are more focused on the type of patients that they need, because of course they need the trial to continue. Um, and if they have the right type of patients with the type of disease they need, then the trial can continue. But the problem is, is each patient brings a host of concerns with them that has to be taken in consideration. Um, yes, the initial trial configuration process uh, is made more complicated when they take this into consideration, but it's going to cause more patients to participate because they know their concerns are being addressed. Um, so the trial has a decision to make of do they want a simple creation process, configuration process, which unfortunately is going to cause less patients to join, or they take all of this into consideration, have a more complicated initial process and have more patients join. Um, because if you don't spell out what the trial will and won't do for us as the patients, you leave plenty of room for us to assume. And a lot of us assume the negative that you aren't going to do something for me. So I'm going to have to figure out, figure out what I'm going to do to participate. Um, so please prevent us from getting lost in the, what do I do about this or that concern? And get us back on the real important question of there, you know, there is no reason why I shouldn't participate. So make it an easy, yes, let's participate instead of having me concerned about gas food, who's going to take care of my dog or my child. Well, Gary, we don't need a survey. We just need Gary and, and then we're good. <laughs> you, you nailed that. So yeah, I wrote down, okay, we need a webmaster. We need a driver. We need a babysitter. We need a dog sitter. And then people participate in the trial. You know, oversimplifying, but trying, trying to, to, you know, I, I'm sure that somebody somewhere was thinking about all the science of all of this. And the last thing they were thinking about is, and the, and the difference between us and a successful trial is a dog sitter. 
right? <laughs> but, it, but it's the truth. That's real life. That's what happens. So, Mary, from the FSR perspective, when we look at this on a community-wide level, which is what FSR is so good at, what, what are you hearing? What are you thinking? What can be done? Well, great, John. Thank you for the opportunity to weigh in here. And, and first of all, thank you, Gary, for sharing that really important perspective. It's so critically important to continue to hear the patient voice and to get a better understanding of the challenges associated with uh, whether or not to participate. And really what I hear from you is that participating in a clinical trial is a life choice. You know, one must consider the impact of the time, the risk and potential benefits, and how those fit into the rest of your life. Uh, potential clinical trial participants have to consider conflicting priorities in their lives. The time and energy that you spend on participation takes time and energy away from other parts of your life. You're reminding us that when, you know, when people think about participation, they also must think about the impact, not only on themselves, but on their families, their children, their parents, their partners, their pets, their friends, work, all of what you pointed out, and, and numerous other obligations. And there's much more to consider than simply the eligibility criteria. And to your point, how do we get it so that the patients don't have so much of this on their shoulders to carry when they're considering uh, entering into a clinical trial. I'm really interested in hearing more about what really motivated you, what motivates others, and ultimately results in them prioritizing clinical trial participation. Once we have a deeper understanding of both the considerations and motivations that drive the participation, we can examine how clinical trial design, clinical trial staff, healthcare providers, families, workplaces, and communities can respond and most importantly, support that choice. Are we really doing all we can to support people to participate in clinical trials? It's a really important question. Are we really addressing their most important considerations and needs? And are we really addressing their strongest motivations? One place that we can start to make it simpler and easier for people to participate in trials is decentralized trials that result in less time lost from other areas of their lives, like you were talking about, Gari. Along with Gari, almost half of those uh, that responded to the FSR survey indicated that the travel distance of time was of great concern. Therefore, making it possible for people to participate in trials within their own communities may help uh, make participating in a, a clinical trial possible for some people who do not live near clinical trial sites. Secondly, we can loosen the criteria for participating and make it easier to build participating into people's already very full lives. Financial implications are also, as we heard, top of mind for the community. Last year, FSR surveyed our community with over 600 survey respondents, 75%, I'm gonna say that again, 75% of respondents believe sarcoidosis has had a negative impact on their finances. Additionally, in our most recent survey, 35% indicated that they considered the financial impact of participation in a trial. With finances top of mind, information about out-of-pocket expenses and insurance coverage information 
may be helpful to provide upfront for patients as they're considering uh, whether or not to participate in a trial. Additionally, as John mentioned, more than half of our survey respondents are concerned about negative health impacts when considering participating in a clinical trial. Often those impacted by sarcoidosis must try several different treatments to find a therapy that helps control their symptoms. Since sarcoidosis is such a complex disease and researchers are still learning to better understand what causes flares, we must acknowledge that this is a serious consideration to ask patients to go off treatment that is currently working. Could researchers listen to some of the patient concerns such as what triggers a flare? This would be an area we think a lot of patients would appreciate being further studied to increase knowledge and understanding about flare-ups. We can also think of additional ways to honor clinical trial participants. Pharma can reimburse for travel and sometimes uh, time away from work, and this is crucial. We want to keep improving the response to the needs of patients. Remember that people who participate in trials usually feel good about contributing to improve treatments and therapies that may benefit them and future generations to come. What we also need to think about and recognize is that for disease diagnoses, treatments, and for care to improve, we need people to help. Researchers and doctors do not make breakthroughs in treatments alone. They rely on patients to, try, you know, to help them out and provide valuable information to move the studies and treatments along. Developing better care for sarcoidosis truly takes a village and the patient is really at the center. And we are so appreciative of the patient's consideration and in entering into clinical trials. Thank you, John. Well, thank you, Mary. And, and again, uh, I'm so thankful that we have FSR, that there is somebody who can get all of these different parts of the machine in place so that, so that we can make progress. You know, the pharma companies, yeah, they're good at being pharma companies and patients are, are patients and, and our physicians are, are you know, fantastic. Um, but, but the only one person who's looking at everybody's concern is FSR. And that's, that's our role, right, as, as an organization. So, so let's talk about this. We talked about going from one trial now to nine trials. We're looking at a, a relatively small pool of potential patients since sarcoidosis, give or take, uh, affects about what? Two, someone correct me if I'm wrong, but the number I've used over and over is about 200,000 people in the United States at any given time. And then you're looking for people in the different subsets. Uh, for instance, a, a pulmonary person who's had sarcoidosis XYZ number of years or has, has or has not taken previous therapies. And so when, by the time you start dividing this out, you don't have a large pool to begin with. Right. So it's really important that people uh, that people will sign up if they believe that uh, that it, that it's doable. Right. So, Bill, how do we how do we keep the momentum going now with nine of these in the field and hopefully many more to come after that? Uh, yeah, thank you, John, for the question. First, let me just also thank you, Gary, for sharing your perspective and your experience and uh Mary, you are absolutely dead on about identifying all of the challenges for patient participation in clinical trials and educating pharmaceutical companies on that. I know that we try 
to incorporate the patient's perspective in everything that we do. We have a head of patient advocacy uh, who is um, on, the, on our Zoom here today, Rainy Rogers, who uh, is very active and aggressive at trying to make sure that we incorporate the patient's perspective in everything that we do. We have um, we have uh, focus groups and we try to incorporate the patient's uh, view and, and meet patients at our company in order to keep that top of mind. Um, but it's an imperfect view and the one of the important roles that a patient advocacy group like FSR can play is to actually advocate and represent the patient's perspective for pharmaceutical companies so that if they are considering conducting research in uh, sarcoidosis, FSR can educate them on what would provide the maximum uh, potential for success. And I would say, John, to answer your question, Directly, I, I would emphasize the advantage that a patient advocacy group like FSR can play in making a significant difference in patients' lives, particularly in a rare disease. I've seen and conducted clinical research in rare diseases where there wasn't a strong patient advocacy group, and I've conducted clinical research in diseases where there was a really strong patient advocacy group, and it makes a huge difference in the success of clinical trial development and getting new medicines to therapy for uh, those patients in that group. And so I would say for patients, particularly listening on the call today here, it's hard to make a difference as one person, but when you can get behind a group, a patient advocacy group like FSR and to participate in different ways, one of the ways you can participate is in clinical trial, You know. Uh, participation, but that there are many other ways that you can participate that FSR offers. And uh, and the importance that a strong patient advocacy group can have on a disease cuts across all of the pain points in clinical trial development. Yes, making it more accessible and easier for patients to participate in clinical trials is a big one. And that's what we've mostly been talking about today. But a strong patient advocacy group can work with the FDA and other regulatory authorities to help them better understand how the disease impacts patients and to, and to be more flexible on the paths for getting new drugs approved. Uh, because one of the challenges in sarcoidosis is that there isn't a clear development and regulatory pathway to getting a drug approved. The endpoints, the primary endpoints for how you would judge efficacy are not well defined. And so patients, I'm sorry, sponsors, pharmaceutical companies that are doing research in this area are, are blazing a trail and taking on that risk to try to understand and define that real time. But uh, FSR can play a strong role in doing that. FSR can also promote uh, the importance of conducting clinical trial research among clinicians who treat sarcoidosis patients, because one of the problems that are being highlighted here is the, is the accessibility to clinical trial site. It is a rare disease. That means that it, uh, in order to practically conduct a clinical trial, it needs to be at usually a large academic medical center that has enough patients to justify the expense. Those large academic medical centers are few and far between geographically across the country and across the globe. And that makes it harder for many patients who are interested in participating to, to participate. But 
if you have a strong patient advocacy group like FSR, they can use that collective strength of the patients to advocate amongst those clinicians and those academic medical centers uh, to prioritize sarcoidosis research because it is competitive. Every other rare disease is competing for those resources and for uh, those clinicians' time and bandwidth at those centers. And, uh, and the squeaky wheel does get the grease, but if we don't have a group like FSR that is uh, at the forefront of making that happen, then uh, it is often inadequate for the pharmaceutical companies to try to do that on their own. So it's a bit of a, the need to pull clinical research through those centers, as well as for this, you know, pharmaceutical companies sort of pushing it. Um, and then awareness. Another uh, you, you, uh, reason to have a strong uh, patient advocacy group like FSR is, a, is awareness. So we have two circles. We have the total number of patients who have the disease that may be eligible. And then we have a smaller circle of those that are interested. And mostly we're talking to a group today who are interested in learning more uh, and, uh, and how we can make that easier for them to participate. That's very important. But the other, uh, the other important initiative here is to grow the size of the pie, to grow the number of patients who have this disease uh, who are interested in participating larger. And, um, and there are obviously lots of things that uh, we can do and that FSR can do to make that happen. Marketing, social media, direct mail, educating clinicians who treat sarcoidosis patients on the availability of clinical trials at other sites to encourage them to talk to their patients about those studies and to, and to, and to introduce them or to make those referrals to those other clinical trial sites is, is also uh, very important. And then finally, a patient registry uh, that can only be done by a group like FSR so that clinical uh, trial sponsors, pharmaceutical companies who are interested in conducting clinical trial research can go to FSR and not only learn what uh, they can do to make it as easy as possible for patients to get in the study, but also uh, know that there's a network of clinics and clinicians and patients uh, who are uh, organized to conduct clinical trial research or motivated to conduct it so that uh, the cost and risk and complexity of conducting a clinical trial is not as high which will encourage more clinical trial research in this area. And the more clinical trial research in sarcoidosis, the higher the likelihood and the faster that new medicines will uh, get to market. So those would be practically, I think, John, the best way for patients as individuals to, uh, to contribute to making a significant difference in this disease is yes, consider participating in clinical trial research, but also getting involved with a patient advocacy group like FSR that can uh, speak with one large voice. And, and Mary, I tell you, I feel like our voice at FSR has been amplified many times over in the past couple of years. So again, uh, I know that you have, have really found a way to be that squeaky wheel, but what's still, what opportunities still lie ahead? 
Well, I want to go back to Bill, and thank you for that, Bill, for highlighting uh, FSR, and and thank you also uh, to KindEvent and and uh, other inter- industry partners who work with FSR to come to us to find out that information about the patient voice, what's important. As we're talking about today, we survey, right? We survey the patients. We 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 keep the patient at the center of everything that we do, and we're just so pleased uh, that our industry partners recognize this and reach out to FSR for critical uh, you know, information for them uh, as they think about doing trials or as they're recruiting for trials and to engage us in that process. So uh, you know, we're very grateful for that. Uh, as we know, uh, and as we've been talking about today, uh, you know, patient participation is just vital to advancing science uh, and so important for people living with sarcoidosis, uh, not only in our nation, but ar- around the world. But what I'm thinking about, and a little bit of response, John, uh, to, to uh, your question is, you know, taking a bigger picture, right? Uh, like, as a society, uh, are we doing an adequate job of recognizing even the importance of the role that patients play in scientific discovery uh, through these trials? And Here's a question, you know, do we adequately honor the role and make clinical trial participants feel valued? I mean, this is, this is a, a big role that they're playing. Um, what the pharmaceutical industry and healthcare system and general population need to recognize is that, you know, clinical trial participants are doing an act of service and it's for our nation. Really, if you look at the big picture, there's no guarantee that the person participating in the trial is going to benefit personally from the trial or its findings, but the trial participant is definitely contributing to the greater good for those living with sarcoidosis or for those in other chronic disease states. In addition to removing financial barriers and health risk concerns, we need to talk about how to honor the service of clinical trial participants. Government officials get pensions, Members of the military get many special services uh, in healthcare and in general society. Uh, first to board on planes, we look at discounts on entertainment, housing assistance, as they should. But can we talk about how to appropriately honor people who prioritize participating in clinical trials in the United States of America? We must work through the existing confines of regulation, but at the same time, we can work together to improve that very system. And it's critically important for us as a nation, I believe, to understand the entire system, to understand one another and to support each other in this um, environment. And it's important for all of us to work as a community towards improving that system from FDA regulations, as we talked about, to the pharmaceutical industry, to healthcare clinics and clinicians, to academic and disease uh, researchers, to patients and their families. All All the key stakeholders would benefit from a team approach to large scale improvements that will loosen and reshape the system into something better. So I really like to take what we're talking about today that's critically important for sarcoidosis, sarcoidosis community, uh, and and the improvement of therapies and better patient outcomes. But I also think it's important uh, that we really look at the big picture here with patient participants in clinical trials in the United States of America and honoring that. 
Well, thank you, Mary. So I, I hear you saying um, I hear you saying some great things there, and I think what we have is we have a wheel, but it's an imperfect wheel, and, it, and you know, people say don't reinvent the wheel, but to a certain extent, we do have to reinvent the wheel here. Um, we are coming up uh, on an hour now, and what I'd like to do is maybe just get a closing takeaway from each of our panelists before we sort of close things out. And I want to start with Gary. Uh, what what are your final thoughts after? Uh, either what you've heard today or the one thing that you want the listeners today to, to, to that sticks from your perspective. And I do apologize for the noise. Hopefully you can't hear this. Uh, the one thing I want people to take away is that education of both the patients, the clinicians and clinical trial staff is the way to get more patients involved and to participate in clinical trials. Uh, the more patients, a diverse group of patients who participate broadens the scope of the medication efficacy. Uh, when a small homogeneous group of people who are used to test the medication, uh, the trial can only say that the medication really worked great for the group that was tested, mostly male, mostly female, or if a specific ethnicity. Um, they hope and assume that the medication or the drug is actually going to be effective for all. Trial participants must reflect the population of who would be taking the medication after it gets approved, not just for the small group tested. Uh, one way to reach more patients is, like um, Bill had said, is to involve patient advocacy groups. Get them educated on the clinical trial. This allows the trial access to questions or concerns that the patient will have about the trial. This makes sure that the trial is prepared for the inevitable questions from the patients. And this prevents us from drowning in the what do I do about XYZ concerns and focus in on the most important thing, which is should I participate in the trial? And I'll end early so other people can speak real quick. All right, Dr. Patel, what do you think? Closing thoughts. Um, thank you, Jen. So I, I think I am more hopeful for sarcoidosis patients than I have ever been before because of the interest that companies are taking in sarcoidosis. Um, I, I think that we have a golden opportunity right now to have a huge impact on treatment options for sarcoidosis. It's gonna take you know, everybody in the sarcoidosis community to get together to make these studies successful so that we can come up with better treatment options for patients. Well said. Mary, final thoughts? Bill, well, let's, let's go with Bill first. Yeah, thank you, John. I uh, really love what Mary said. I do agree that we should do more to honor patients, uh, and we can do that in overt ways, but we can also just do that by uh, incorporating in a lot of the things that we talked about today. We often in the pharmaceutical industry historically have thought about patients as being subjects or you know participants in a clinical trial, but what we do at our company is talk a lot about patients being partners of ours in conducting clinical research. We're all in the same boat together. We're all rowing, should be rowing in the same direction, trying to achieve the same goal, which is to as efficiently and effectively as possible get new therapeutic options on, on, uh, uh, available to patients. And, and, uh, and we should, in order to optimally do that, think about our patients who are willing to participate in clinical trials as partners and treating them as partners in, in every element of the, uh, of the design, you know, the study, uh, beginning with the initial just concept for uh, how to do it and where to do it. Um, but let me just say, finally, the reason that current patients don't have better therapies is partly because researchers 
did not understand what caused the disease, but but also partly because successive or previous generations of sarcoidosis patients were uh, unwilling or unable to participate in clinical research. They didn't, they couldn't, couldn't, couldn't access it for the reasons we talked about, or if they could, they didn't want to take on, you know, a little bit of inconvenience and take the time of work, et cetera. But there are personal reasons we talked about for participating. A new therapy could help you personally. And if it works and gets on market, it could help you within your lifetime and potentially significantly improve your quality of life. And second, there are these altruistic reasons that we've talked about because successful clinical trial results stand on the shoulders of previous clinical trial failures. The knowledge that we learn will be incorporated into future study designs. And we certainly, in our case, studied the previous you know, studies that were conducted and learned everything that we could, I incorporated those into our study design in order to maximize the probability of success. Um, most of these um, drugs uh, that are developed are not developed by large pharmaceutical companies. They're developed by small companies like ours with less than 50 people who are waking up every single day, every single, and thinking every single moment about how can they efficiently get a new therapy for sarcoidosis. Uh, I know that's true at our company at, at kind of Ant, but we can't do it alone as we've talked about today. It does take a village. So this is a call to action. Um, if you're a clinician who treats sarcoidosis patients, sponsor clinical trial or help your patients identify clinical research where they can participate. And if you're a patient, ask a clinician about the opportunity to participate and, um, and, and because companies need you to partner with us to conduct clinical research. Um, help us help you is um, how I would uh, end my comments here today. Thank you for the opportunity to participate and I hope we can have more of these two-way dialogues between uh, 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 companies like ours and patients so that we can continue to come together to to achieve the best possible outcomes. Well, thank you all as uh, panelists for participating today. These kinds of conversations are so valuable. Uh, so uh, Gary and, and Dr. Patel, uh, Bill and Mary, uh, thank you all for being here. And, you know, it's, it's so, so vital that we get all the right people in the right place at the right time with the right audience, which we have today, to, to kick the ball down the road in a, in a good way so that we, we get to that next thing, so that we make the wheel a little rounder, if you will. And so I just want to thank all of you for participating. And Mary, I know you have a couple of last closing thoughts, so why don't you uh, take us home here? It was, we have gone a little bit over, but it's been a great conversation. Terrific. Thank you. And John, a huge thank you for moderating this important conversation today. And a huge thank you also to all of our panelists uh, for bringing uh, this important topic to the forefront for the sarcoidosis community. Uh, we know that we must work together to move science forward, as we've talked about, and make better treatments and a cure possible, and that we must meet the patients where they are in this process. Clinical trials require many considerations, as we heard today, but we know that patients are interested and want to learn more. FSR will continue to work diligently with all stakeholders to move this forward. We invite you all to utilize FSR's comprehensive resources, such as the clinical trials information page and the clinical trial interest form on our website. We also hope you will consider joining the FSR's patient registry, another way 
to help increase understanding of the patient journey and how this disease impacts our community. By participating in clinical trials and the FSR patient registry, you will be helping make progress and move the needle in forward in sarcoidosis. And finally, I want to reiterate the most agreement in the community survey results surrounding the topic of hope. John mentioned them briefly. Of the 262 response, 68% of them said they were hopeful for that participation, for their participation in clinical trial would result in better treatment for future generations of people living with sarcoidosis. 65% said they hoped that their participation in a clinical trial will help to deepen researchers' understanding of their disease. And 61% are hopeful their participation would result in new therapies for them. What I heard today from Gari and Bill and Dr. Patel and John is that there are great reasons to have hope and that this hopeful energy will have a ripple effect if we act on it. I also want to press on the sense of urgency that I feel uh, is so important right now. So much work has to be done to create this momentum in time where clinical trials and sarcoidosis can uncover what the community needs most, a deeper understanding of the disease, faster diagnoses, and improved treatments. Things have just sat uh, too long uh, for people living with sarcoidosis. Let's all work together and continue to move this momentum forward. Thank you again to Kind Event Sciences for sponsoring this event and to all of you for your participation and for joining us today. Thank you everybody and, and to our audience as well, thank you. Trying to keep up the pace